Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. Okay, I th once again, we're recording this in October, but I think that we are firmly in, uh, I think we're firmly in Christmas time. This might be going up Christmas week, who knows, but I think we're right there, so Merry Christmas everybody. It might be Christmas Day right now. Is I Christmas Day on a Thursday? I think it's on a Friday this year. Oh, okay. So this will be right before. Maybe I'll post it. So, hey, uh, you know, leave uh, like cookies out for Santa and stuff when he comes down the chimney for tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, which is Christmas, unless you're gather, watching this Gather your family around the iPod <laughs> with a crackling fire and some hot chocolate and listen to our discussion of the 1972 best picture, The Godfather. Hooray. Part of that takes place at Christmas time, right? I think so. I believe so. All right. So it's kind of a Christmas film. Yeah, It's real Christmas. Just like Eyes Wide Shut. It's a Christmas film. <laughs> so, okay. Look, here's the deal. The last uh, best picture we talked about was The Sting, mm -hmm. which you hadn't seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. And so you said, like, I can't really talk about this. I don't know what to say. I should probably just leave. I tried to leave. You tried to leave, but I had locked the door. Yeah. And then I said, well, wait a second. The next one is The Godfather. You love The Godfather. Mm -hmm. Can't get enough of The Godfather. Mm -hmm. Vita Corleone, Tommy Guns. Here's, a, a, let's see, Horses, Heads, and Toll booze. You just love it all. A cannoli. Here's a, get the, take the cannoli, right? <laughs> and uh, Exploding Cars. Mm -hmm. And other elements as well, I'm sure. Spoilers. Um, Oh, well, maybe people didn't know that there were other elements. Oh, that's true. Well, and there's that scene where there's a horse in a car that explodes on a, in a toll booth and its head <laughs> lands in somebody's bed and they start shooting it up with a Tommy gun. Even though, even though they were eating a cannoli. <laughs> that's, oh, are we back to, uh, the Holy mountain? <laughs> so, and that's in the first two minutes. <laughs> so, okay. So I thought, you know what? Here's a fun thing. Since you love this movie so much, and I apparently can't say it without going into that tone of voice, because you love this movie so much, I'm going to let you lead the discussion. Well, The Godfather, wow me. Surprise, I've actually never seen this movie. Oh, it's boy. It's been all a big ruse. I've been pretending that I know about it. I, I got an earpiece in where somebody tells me, like, James Conn was in it. And I'm like, James Conn <laughs> gave a fantastic performance. Like, no, no, he didn't. He didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. He was People terrible. Hate his performance. He was terrible in that film. <laughs> Um, uh, this just in, this just in, James Conn, terrible in the 1972 film, The Godfather. I love, I love that he made it all the way to the end of the, oh, I'm sorry, all the way for the three quarters of the of the film, or, or approximately so. <laughs> right after the, uh, when I when I first saw the film on VHS, they split it into two, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. two tapes. Yeah. And I believe, uh, I believe the toll booth scene is right like the beginning what? of tape two see okay here's this is a total tangent this is something that used to bother me so much about back in the day when long movies couldn't fit on one videotape yeah most of the time and there may be some exceptions but most of the time it seemed like they felt like they needed to fit as much as possible on that first tape yeah and then have a second tape that might have like 20 minutes on it or something because the godfather has a clear break point in the middle which is after the uh, the shooting at the after Michael shoots uh, Barzini, right? Yeah. No, no, not Barzini. 
It's no. uh, Solazzo. Solazzo, that's right. Yeah. Who is Barzini? He's uh, he he's the big the big boss. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. He's at the end. Yeah. Um, but that's like a that is a clear break point. It cuts yeah. to like time later, a different place. Like that's such a and I think that's that's right about at the middle. I think. Yeah, it's pretty close to the middle. I'd say. So you could easily fit both of that. Like that's that's where the break should be on the tapes, but it's not. Um, See, it seems to me the break could be after he decides to come home from Italy. You could do that too. Like there's a because there, it cuts to a year later, mm-hmm. and so I feel like there's a there's a nice break there. But literally, the break was, oh, Sonny just got word that something bad has happened to his sister Connie, and he's gonna find out what it is. Well, let's go get this other tape. <laughs> I assume everything will go fine. <laughs> Imagine if you put in that tape first. <laughs> oh, boy. Just like watch for like two minutes and like, oh, I think there haven't been any titles. Oh, ho- holy. That that happened actually uh, uh, years ago when I watched It, Stephen King's It mm-hmm. on VHS. They got the tapes mixed up. And I don't know if uh, if you are familiar with It, but it is split up into like the 1960s and then the 1990s. Oh yeah. And, uh, but there's like flashbacks and it goes back and forth. So I threw in the first, I threw in the second tape cause it was put in the first box when I got it from blockbuster mm. and threw that in. And it's just like, Oh, it's wow. They're really jumping right into this. But because it flashed back <laughs> and forth so much, it was like, okay, I guess I'll just, you know, I guess I'll just have to figure it out. Yeah. And then when it ends, I'm like, this seems pretty definitive. I can't imagine what would happen afterwards. And then when I wa- then I threw in this first tape, thinking it was the second one, I was like, oh, okay, I think I see what happened. I think that's an ex- that's an experience that now people who are maybe ten years younger than us may never have because you're never going to watch stuff on yeah VHS anymore. And there were some movies that you'd have to put on the two DVDs. The Godfather Part Two actually is one. Yeah, um, or at least at the time they could only fit it onto. Or there are some like Amadeus when they first released it oh, on you DVD, flip you it. flipped it, yeah. you flipped it around. And um, my roommate Cole watched the wrong side first, <laughs> and it's not necessarily, and he hated it. He was like, <laughs> "Like this movie makes no sense at all." <laughs> um, but like now with Blu-ray, you can always fit it all on yeah. one movie, so no one's ever going to have that. Yeah, that experience. I do feel like I should probably, even though I don't watch the Godfather movies that often, I, I recognize how good they are, mm. but they're not they're not a thing I return to very often. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, there are people that watch it like several times a year, mm. um, and even though I have a tremendous respect for them, and there are certain performances that I could watch all day long, for example, Marlon Brando as Vito, mm-hmm. um, it's not a thing that I feel a need to return to over and over, but instinctively I feel like I should get it on Blu-ray. I have yeah. that nice, that nice, uh, DVD box set. And I it's think that's designed, the same one I have. Yeah. And it's designed so well. Yeah. I'm like, why well, the blue one, <laughs> Blu-ray one doesn't look quite as good. No, it doesn't. Um, but yeah, it's just sitting there on DVD and it's like, well, if the day comes and I want to watch <laughs> the Godfather, I guess I'd want to watch it on Blu-ray. So that was a little bit earlier in the, the DVD yeah like releases so it, i think the quality is not that great even even on those dvds uh, unfortunately that's one of the reasons i want to get i want to get the new ones yeah also then, because i i love the film and it's one that i and uh, you're a big fan of godfather 3 that's the thing <laughs> they just need to not look i recognize that france ford coppola made the film and so it is part of the trilogy but like nobody is watching it not really save yourself some money 
Yeah. Just burn them all, <laughs> you know, and use it as a source of energy. You, should, you could do like highlights somehow. And uh, I like the way it ends. The third I one. love the way it ends. Yeah, that's but really But you kind of have to slog through the, the, uh, the details of the third one for that to have the impact that it does. And there's, uh, there's some elements, you know, like Andy Garcia is really good in it. Joe mm-hmm. Mantegna is in it for a moment. And uh, there, there's some good elements there, but like, it's such a weird, weird little film. Yeah. Um, that is not even in this, nowhere near the same class as the first two, yeah. I think. Well, and it's a type of, I feel like somehow that movie turned into a different type of gangster movie. If that makes any sense. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Because I think, the the Godfather and Godfather Part Two are not at all your typical gangster movie, and I think that's one of the reasons that they're so popular. Um, yeah, because Coppola said that he wanted to approach them more as a family drama. Yeah, but this family happens to be in the mafia, right? And that's and he does a, such a great job of doing that because the first he starts out the film with the wedding, so it's a family event. It it feels like a lot of fun. Um, it, so everyone's having so much fun at the wedding and I feel like that that is such a happy sequence but there's like hints that there's something a little bit sure uh, well you know even even the hints where it's something that they're a little bit of dangerous people it still still has kind of like a likable feeling like I love that moment when Sonny goes out and takes the photographer's cameras throws them on the ground and then just throws the money on the ground at him yeah because it uh, that feels like such a cool, tough guy thing. And at, the, and at this point you're on his side. Like you, you don't want people in there to take pictures of the wedding. Like yeah. they're, you know, they're, you, you, you think he's doing the right thing. And then, uh, that establishes, I think that's, it's kind of establishing for all the characters that you're, you're on their side. Yeah, I think so. And especially Michael. Yeah. Michael's role in the, in the wedding scene is particularly interesting because, mm-hmm. He is narrating because he's explaining things to Kay, his girlfriend, mm-hmm. uh, and he's explaining the nature of his family, but explaining it as though and he specifically says, that's my family. That's not me. So he yeah. has some distance on it. Right. And seems even slightly, for lack of a better term, amused. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Or just And maybe a little bit uh, judgmental. Like sure. maybe the, the, I don't know, he... he thinks he's he's gone on to better things and they're still a yeah. little bit uh, a little bit of uh, a bunch of leathernecks maybe um Leather. at least the is that the wrong word i'm thinking like tough guys i mean oh sure okay yeah, uh, yeah. because and not not maybe even that his family is that but that, that those are the people that they associate with and like those are the circles that they run and they have people like um luca brazzi right hanging around and like yeah. that's obviously the brightest guy out there <laughs> right that's so the guy you want in your corner I think he sees himself as having some distance from them, but there's still a connection and, uh, you know, that connection deepens as the film goes on. And then he comes to think and see himself as a, as a different part of the family. And I feel like that is to, to go with the idea of it being a, being portrayed as a family film first, the tone of Pacino's performance in that scene. I mean, how many people, have spoken about their own family that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know you, you know, you love your family. They're <laughs> just the, you know, they're so great. And my family gets along, but, but, 
but at the same time, like there are certain members of the family or certain relationships mm-hmm. and, and feuds and spats and stuff like that, that everybody knows about. Yeah. And you know, you have a wife, I have a wife. I'm sure there have been times when, when you've had to explain something mm-hmm. to uh, Megan, when you guys were simply going yeah. out, it's like, okay, look, I, you met, you'll need to know this in advance. <laughs> and, and that kind of stuff happens, especially more when it's a bigger family. Sure. And, and th- this is like a big extended family. Everybody's there. And, and, yeah. you know, and it's, and it's, it's weird. Uh, the, there are some movies that make more sense to me as I get older. Mm-hmm. And I think the Godfather is one of them. Like when I was younger, I, I loved it for all the gangster stuff. And, you know, uh, and then as I get older, I do definitely see that it, that it is tonally very different than your standard gangster film. Yeah. You know, when you see the behind the scenes stuff and you see them planning things out, you don't see, it's not, um, James Cagney and Edward G. Robinson, like sitting around with smoking cigars, trying to work things yeah, out. Like, here's what we're going to do. See, yeah. that's a great Edward G. Robinson. Here's what we're going to do. See, is that better? Here's what we're going to do. See, 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 like he's excited about exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> see what we're going to do. He was always begging for approval. Edward, Edward G. Robinson. See, see mom. <laughs> and so, but it's not that it's the tone of like, these people who have this this past relationship, like you're, they're working. It's brothers working together mm-hmm. towards this thing, and the thing, you know, it could be my brother and I trying to, you know, work out what we're going to, what our plans are for Thanksgiving. Yeah. But in this case, it's how are we going to murder this person? Well, and the, and they talk so much about it being about the business and it being mm-hmm. a, about a business, and it feels more like a business in this than a lot of other gangster movies sure. do. Like you, you kind of see like, well how they're planning for the future and how uh, there's a lot of moving parts and it, it doesn't feel like crime. It feels like a business. Yeah. And I, I think that the, that's the feeling that I also get from the Sopranos. I haven't really watched the Sopranos, mm-hmm. but I've seen some of it while Megan was watching it. She was watching the full series yeah. and it seemed to have that same kind of feel to it. Is no that, question about it. Oh, no, it's I think The Sopranos is maybe like the best depiction of the mafia I've ever mm-hmm. seen. Um, and that includes The Godfather. Mm-hmm. And I think it's I, I honestly think it's because since they're a TV show, they're able to focus in on relationships that have nothing to do with the crime side. Yeah. Um, but you also see the inner working, the specifics of how they work things out. Right. You know, in uh, waste disposal is what the <laughs> Soprano family is officially involved in. Yeah. Um, so it's, but I, th- I think what I was going to say earlier is it makes it feel more like, uh, this is probably what it feels like from the inside, mm-hmm. you know, like w- when we look at it from the outside, we see the shootings and we see the, you know, the, the genre elements of it. And that's what we were used to getting in gangster movies up to this point. And I think by taking us really inside it, it gets you something, something unique. And, um, the fact that it's able to draw you into a family that are bad people that's what I was going to say is it makes people that you would never feel like you could relate to. It makes them so relatable mm-hmm. that you're in there. You're with the Corleones, like whether they're having dinner or whatever, like you're all, you're with them. Yeah. You're like a, a, a cousin that's right. in there seeing everything. Yeah. And you, you are rooting for them because when you're, de- when you're in that world, everyone you're dealing with is bad. Yeah. Cause when you think and about so it, so why wouldn't you be, who, what's the, what's the difference? Whether right. you're with 
Barzini's family or you're with Salazzo or, oh, the, hey, here, here's a cop. Oh, he's as crooked as you get. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter, so I might as well be with this family. Yeah, it's kind of, maybe it's a little bit like Game of Thrones. It's like you just pick sure. the, you pick the one. They're all bad, but yeah. you pick the team that you're on. And and ultimately, um, I guess we've talked about The Godfather on the show in the past in a, in a number of ways, um, but one of the things about it is that these people are already immoral. They've already put morality aside. So mm-hmm. what's the only thing left? Loyalty. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and what's the only loyalty you can go with? Well, family, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we've talked about like the idol of the family. Yeah. And that ultimately the Godfather is like the, the best way to depict family idolatry, but also the idea that you say you do everything for your family, but you're also probably just viewing your family as an extension of yourself. Mm-hmm. And that this, but this is the way that you can convince yourself you're not selfish. Yeah. But in the end, as we see in Godfather part two, even, even members of the family are not safe from you. Right. When that's what you're choosing. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because I think the, I think both, uh, the, fact of the way that family runs and the way that we respond to it as viewers uh, find something positive in it, which I think comes from something primal, which is that shame or shame or honor mm-hmm. culture, which I think is a lot of, it's kind of this ancient thing that, yeah. that uh, resonates with a lot of us for some reason. I think that's a lot of what it is that there's honor in loyalty. There's honor in being uh, the top dog basically. Yeah. And that's kind of what they're going for. And I think they draw us in on that and we feel the same way. But it doesn't totally go with that enough so that, because I think there are films that are just on the bad guy's side the whole time. Right. And you're like, great. You know, these bad guys are essentially good guys. I think the way the film ends and then what leads into in The Godfather Part 2 shows that this is not really, this is not good. That, I mean, the ending shot, so iconic. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it is pretty obviously negative yeah and just and we also see a clear and it's and it's underlined more in godfather part two but um the difference between Vito and michael and the Vito clearly he's willing to do extreme things but he, he's often willing to do them himself and michael is as well mm-hmm. but um but we also see that Vito has a certain idea not merely of like honor and loyalty in his family but it's also there are things i won't do mm-hmm. i don't want to get into drugs i don't yeah. want to because that just ruins everything yeah i don't want to do that so even he has some semblance of a moral code mm-hmm. um michael and Sonny, just the next generation just moves away from that yeah. it moves you actually see it going from like a family thing into being more of a business thing yeah. like michael is a businessman He'll say he's a family man, but I think he's a businessman first and foremost. Yeah. Um, and there at the end, you see like you see him just get colder and colder over the f- course of the film. Yeah. I mean, and, the arc from where he the, from the person that he is in the yeah. wedding, where he is gossiping about his family yeah. to his wife, to the end where he's literally shutting his wife out of his yeah. family. Yeah, and it's a yeah, it's a wonderful film. Uh, we should probably move on because mm. we could talk about the Godfather for uh, for probably hours you know and and every time probably. we do talk about it it does grow in my mind it's 
it's a movie that's always in my always in my top hundred, often in my top twenty five, uh, and then it kind. Of, but it just it's a movie like for me, it's a movie like Lawrence of Arabia or Citizen Kane or one of these others that when I haven't seen it for a while, it kind of fades a little bit. And then the minute I start talking about it or I watch it again, I'm like, what? Why am I not thinking about this all the time? Mm -hmm. And The Godfather, more so than Godfather Part Two, which we've discussed already, Mm -hmm. that first Godfather, I think, has that effect on me. Godfather Part Two never had that effect on me. Mm -hmm. But the first one very much does. Yeah. Um, So looking at other... um, So the film won Best Picture Actor for Marlon Brando and Adapted Screenplay. Here's a fun fact... I'm ready. In the running, and maybe you knew this already, in the running to play Vito for a while was Orson Welles. I think I might have heard that. Now, when I read that, it was couched in like, imagine how disastrous that would be. Because he is a different type of actor than Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando, even when he's playing a character who seems seems outlandish, the way he portrayed Vito... um, he still grounds him very firmly in reality. There was always a theatricality to Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. And while I think he would definitely have the grandeur of, of Vito, I don't know if he'd be able to ground him in that kind of emotional realism. Um, I say that, but I'm not, I'm not sure. I think Orson Welles was a tremendous actor and, but I do think that he, whether it be Charles Foster Kane or Hank Quinlan from uh touch of evil or uh Falstaff, even when he played characters that were very personal to him, I feel like there was always a bit of distance from them. And I feel Mm -hmm. like you, you couldn't have distance in the Godfather. Like it had to feel real lived in and relatable. Yeah. So I don't know, just a a thing that I always find interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, so one picture actor and adapted screenplay, it was nominated for supporting actor, supporting actor, Supporting actor, <laughs> director, costume design, sound editing, and score. Uh, the three nominees for supporting actor were James Con, Robert Duvall, and Al Pacino. Al Pacino is definitely a lead in this. There are two leads. Yeah, that's odd. Um, you know, it's it's as we talk about Oscar stuff, and anytime I talk about my frustration with what the Oscars are, um, I tend to talk about it in like more recent terms, like the idea of Denzel Washington winning right. best actor, Ethan Hawke, even though he's obviously the lead with the arc with 13 more minutes of screen time being nominated for supporting, but yeah. it's like, yeah, but he's, the, he's not as big a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's not new. No, I mean, it must not be because uh, Michael is definitely in the film more than Vito is. Yeah. Like, and he definitely has an arc. Vito yeah. doesn't even really have an arc, no. but Marlon Brando is a much bigger actor yeah. Uh, than Al Pacino, who is still kind of just starting out. And so we will relegate him to, the, in the same way as like uh, Ordinary People or Timothy Hutton, one best supporting actor, even though if that film has a lead, it's definitely him. Yeah. And but yeah, so Pacino's nominated in the wrong category. Robert Duvall, James Conn, definitely supporting. No mm-hmm. problem about yeah. it. No problem there. But um, so yeah, other best picture nominees, we've got Cabaret, Deliverance, The Immigrants, and Sounder. I have only seen one of those. I know I need to see Deliverance. Everyone says I need to see it. I haven't seen it. I'm sure I would like it. Mm-hmm. I have seen Cabaret. That's the it's, only one I've seen too. It's great. It is good. Like a lot of people 
because Cabaret won direct, uh, one director it won a from lot. Bob Fosse, yeah, which, yeah, it won a lot more Oscars, yeah, than The Godfather, mm-hmm. and so I'm sure at the time people were surprised that it lost Best Picture to The Godfather, but um, and so I think people will tend to kind of crap on Cabaret a little bit, but it's a really really good movie mm. and a really solid musical that captures the cynicism of that of that musical, yeah, um, really well. So I'm a big fan of cabaret. You and I, let's watch deliverance together. It'll be so much fun. Well, maybe not fun. fun. Hangout movie. Yeah. It's like a guy's movie. Pop in deliverance, get a pizza. I have, I have actually heard (laughs) that while it is not exactly a commando, (laughs) you and I watched commando together. We did. (laughs) Good times. We're, we're like men's men, you know, <laughs> you and me. Yeah. Uh, we went hunting and then we came and watched Commando. Right. Um, but uh, I've heard that Deliverance... Enemies. What was that? Hunting for our enemies. Oh, no question about it. Uh, <laughs> just redneck mountain men, uh, like in Deliverance. <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've heard that it de- Deliverance is definitely like a film about masculinity um, and that there are moments in it that are kind of sort of that crowd pleasing, like, all right, get them type of moments. Uh, but that it's, there's a lot going on beyond that. So it's a film that I haven't seen and I feel like I need to see. Uh, I, I've never heard of the immigrants. I have heard of sounder, but I know nothing really about it. Yeah. I don't know those two either. So it's kind of, it's kind of strange as far as the best picture slate there. Um, obviously I'm fine with the Godfather winning, but yeah. I would have been okay with Cabaret winning. I think Godfather's a better movie. Yeah. But if they had gone with Cabaret, which they seemed w- like they wanted to do, um, an argument could be, could have been made for it. And, and I'm, I get it. I mean, life is a Cabaret. Old chum. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, Okay, so other notable 1972 releases. A lot of good movies, a lot of notable movies. The Poseidon Adventure, which I've never seen. We were talking about those recently, weren't we? When Towering Inferno was yeah, nominated yeah. for Best Picture in like 75 or something. Yeah, and then when we get to, I think, 71 or 70, uh, I think 70, uh, Airport yeah. was nominated. So like, like three of those movies. I, I, oh, yeah. Because I knew Airplane, but I thought there was only one, and then they made like a sequel. But there might have been more than three even. I can't believe they made that many. Um, what did I just see? I feel like I just saw something recently that was pretty good. Oh, that's what it is. I haven't seen it. That movie Captive. Oh yeah. That, that neither of us have seen, but I've heard is, is, is okay. Mm-hmm. Is directed by the same guy that did, I think airport 77. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Has he done, has he done anything but in between? I, I feel like you would have I, to. I hope so. That's a bit of a gap otherwise. Yeah, maybe freeze himself. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but anyway. He was in a coma and he came back. Yeah. And he's like, I got to direct this cab. And he read The Purpose Driven Life and was like, I've got to <laughs> do a movie about this. The movie's full of racial slurs. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> uh, What's Up, Doc is a Peter Bogdanovich film. Have you ever seen it? I have not. Oh, you That's uh, Barbara Streisand, right? Yeah. And Ryan O'Neill. I think I have heard that. Yeah, I think I need to see that one. You I'd, would enjoy it. It's kind of the screwball thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson, which was probably my dad's second favorite movie. Not really? Behind It Happened One Night. No. And I have still never seen it, uh, which I regret. But is I've, it Robert Redford? Who plays yeah. Jeremiah Johnson? Okay. Yeah. It's about um, like a like a frontiersman, right? Yeah. Isn't that the, yeah. Uh, his name, oddly enough, is Bob Smith. Oh, that's weird. Jeremiah Johnson just is in one scene and he kills him. <laughs> um 
They were going to call it the man who shot Jeremiah Johnson, <laughs> right, but, but like, they were afraid people would get it mixed up with yeah. the man who shot Liberty Valance. And they're like, oh, well, we don't want to, we don't want people on the side of the guy that shot Jeremiah Johnson. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Aguirre, the wrath of God, which I've never seen. I've seen that one. That's the first Herzog movie I've ever seen, which makes me think I need to revisit it because I do enjoy Herzog more than I did. When I saw that one, I was a little like, this is odd. And I think I might've even watched a VHS of it too. So I oh, think yeah. it wasn't real good quality either. So that's a movie I'd like to return to. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, I've heard wonderful things. I, I, I want to see it if I'm feeling in a particularly uh, intense mood. Mm-hmm. Um, the Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie is a lot of fun. Have you ever... Well, a, uh, fun. Yeah, it's fun <laughs> yeah. and goofy and, yeah. you know, very satirical. Yeah. Um, I really love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. And that's the thing. There's a bunch here. There's also Solaris. There's the ruling class, but there's also stuff like Superfly, which is awesome, by the way. I've that's a great movie Superfly. with a great soundtrack by Curtis Mayfield. I need to see that. But the there's ruling also like, class might be the movie that I was thinking of when I was thinking of Touch of Class because oh, that indeed. has Peter O'Toole that's in it. That's true. Yes, yes. Uh, have you ever seen the ruling class? I have. Yeah, oh, I love it. That is a Did you like strange it? one. Um, for the most part, yes. We actually might do an episode about it at some point. That that would be interesting. Yeah. Um. So, okay. Uh, but then you also get stuff like last house on the left and pink flamingos, you know? <laughs> yeah. So 72 is a weird movie year. Um, Which isn't last house on the left. The one that is loosely based on the Virgin spring. I believe so. Bergman yes. film. Yes. So, uh, but, uh, much grittier and more horrifying. Well, and I think it's the and part Craven, I believe. Yes. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it, I, I don't remember the Virgin Spring real well, uh, but I think the part that Last House on the Left focuses on in that story is a is either a small part of the Virgin Spring or actually happens off screen. It's like there's one particular element of it that Last House on the Left is about. That you're talking about just the general revenge, just the revenge part. Oh, of it, yeah, yeah, it's mostly about that. Yeah, um, actually, I think it just kind of I. I've not seen it. I don't think I would like it. And so I think I'm good to avoid it. Um, but basically any violent element of that story, whether it be the initial crime or the revenge, I think is uh, played up. And so, um, whereas the revenge, it's not, it certainly is not an afterthought in the Virgin spring, but, um, but it is only a few minutes are devoted to it. Mm -hmm. Um, if anything, they spend more time, on the emotional buildup to get to the revenge than the actual revenge. So, um, so yeah, uh, a lot of interesting movies, but from a best picture standpoint, like, you know, it's, it's fine. I do love Solaris. Um, but it's the Godfather. What are you going to do? Like unless citizen Kane or Lawrence of Arabia were up against it, (laughs) I'm fine with the Godfather winning best picture in 1972. So, um, okay, we will, uh, we will end there. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. Merry Christmas. Happy new year. Josh, thank you for being here. You're welcome. Mm, I don't think I am. All right. Not even in my own home. Am I welcome? All right. Thank you everybody for listening. We will get you next time. Bye.